Wasn't it wonderful having uh, Matt Bolte here? Matt and Catherine Bolte came down from Queensland, part of the Australian Prayer Network. Um, they uh, spoke to us about prayer. Uh, we had a one-day seminar uh, on prayer. How, how many of uh, is there anyone that here went to that? Number of you did. It was a really wonderful time, and I want to continue to talk about that. If I was to go uh, out in, into the streets and ask any random person what is it that they think, what is the main sort of thing that they think kind of religious people do, they would probably say pray. That would be the basic answer. Religious people pray. And maybe a lot of different things come to mind when people think of prayer. Maybe they think of, uh, they think of people gathering in mosques and kneeling down and standing up. And uh, maybe they've seen uh, Jewish people do their, you know, get all garbed up and, and, and do their, their prayer. What, whatever you think of uh, regarding prayer, uh, this is one of the primary things that people associate with, um, with faith. And actually, that's pretty much right on. Uh, prayer is absolutely central to what it means to be a Christian. But what I'd like to do today is to actually build a little bit of a foundation for something that I believe for many Christians has been a really primary struggle of their lives. Uh, the response when I talk about prayer to a lot of Christians is often just this sense of feeling bad because it's something that I don't do enough or I don't do as well as I should or I, it's often associated with feelings of maybe guilt, uh, maybe even exhaustion, maybe disappointment. And I think that's a great tragedy that Prayer has those kinds of association. But I also, I also know what that feels like because I've, I have certainly experienced that in my life. I've experienced that frustration. And so I want to try and move us away from that today and help us to build a foundation for a different approach to prayer because prayer is not about how much or how well you do it. It's not about ticking the religious box it actually is about relationship. And I know this is basic, but let's just remind ourselves, and particularly if you're just visiting and exploring faith for the first time, you need to know that the most important thing that God wants from you is a personal relationship. That is why Jesus, that is why God came to us in Jesus and suffered and died on a cross to pay for our guilt so that we could be reconciled to Him and have a relationship. Now, the key aspect of any kind of personal relationship is communication. In fact, without communication, there is a sense in which a relationship lies dormant. I mean, you might still, the relationship might be a fact. So, uh, my mother is my mother. Whether or not we communicate, that's because she gave birth to me and so she's my mother. And by the way, next week is Mother's Day. Who remembers that? Dads, uh, don't forget to, you know, uh, remind the kids to, you know. Next week is Mother's Day and uh, I'm actually, I'm going to interview my mother 
and uh, she's going to tell uh, her story. Uh, so looking forward uh, to that. She did say no when I asked her, but I'm still uh, with a bit of spiritual manipulation. Uh, she's, she's, you know, she's getting there. So, um, so she will be here. No, in all seriousness, she will be here uh, next, uh, next week. Uh, but don't say anything to her or put pressure on her because she might back out and I'll have to manipulate her more. Anyway, the point, my point was is that my mother is my mother uh, whether or not we communicate. But if we don't communicate, the relationship is in some sense inactive. It lies dormant, doesn't it? Without communication. Uh, communication lies at the, at, at the very core of what relationships are. And I don't just mean pragmatic communication. I'm doing this then and this isn't, you know. I mean actual self-communication. Us communicating with each other, how we feel and what we love and why, and, and, and it's the deeper things, those deeper elements of communication. Anyone will ready, readily acknowledge that is what relationships consist in. In fact, communication lies at the very centre of what it even means, and I'm just going to go a, a, just a level of, slightly deeper level Uh, theologically here, communication lies actually at the centre of human identity in a theological sense. To be a person, personhood is the thing that we share in common with God. We were created in God's Image. Now, part of that means that we were created to be God's children. That's another way of saying we were created in God's children. But we were created in God's likeness, which means that in some sense we're like, there's some capacity that we share with God. When, in Genesis chapter 1, when it talks about God creating the other creatures, it always says God created them according to their kinds. But when it speaks about human beings, it says God created us according to the image and likeness of God. And it's generally agreed by theologians that the, the thing that defines our personhood, and, and personhood is a way that we kind of denote that distinct element of our humanness as opposed to animals, that personhood consists largely in self-communication. That self-communication, the capacity for self-reflective self-communication is actually the thing that is unique about us as human beings. I mean, I can communicate with my dog. I've got a little staffy. And he understands ball. He, man, if you say that to him, he'll jump around and get really excited. Even do you want to go for, even that much, he starts to get really excited and he starts to, like, you know, so he, he can understand pragmatic things like that. But actually, distinctly, what other creatures lack is that self-reflexive, self-communicative capacity. It's at the centre of personhood. Now, this is actually true, because remember, what I'm saying is, this is something that we have in common with God. This is a capacity that we share. It's this, in a sense, divine capacity that we have to self-communicate. And so, one might say that as we communicate, we, in a sense, activate, in the deepest sense, our humanity, that to communicate 
is to activate our humanity in that sense. It also means, and this is a very important point that I want to make, and, and I will, I'm going to get practical in a moment, but uh, for those of you who, who just like to think a little bit more deeply uh, about these things, uh, which I think we all should, um, this, this fact is very important that it is actually an essential part of who God is, that God communicates. Because as I've said, the very definition of personhood is associated with self-communication. So in as much as God is a person and as much as God has created us to be persons, that therefore means that there is communication. It's not like, well, God uh, might communicate or he might not communicate or, no, actually it is, very, it is essential to the very nature of God that he is a communicating God. Now, we see this in scripture in some really profound ways. In Genesis 1, when it talks about the creation, it doesn't just say that God made this and he made that and then he made this and he made that. What does it say? It said, and God said. Let's have a look at uh, Genesis chapter one. From verse three, and God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. In other words, God communicates. God and God said. God communicates his intention. He communicates his approval. God is a communicating God. In fact, John in his first chapter of his gospel, which is an account, a gospel, when we speak about the gospels, they are the accounts of the life of Jesus. The gospel of John begins this way. In the beginning, and he's speaking about Jesus. This is the way he defines who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. He's telling you who Jesus is, who and what Jesus is. The Word became flesh. God's self-communication, he's saying, God's self-communication was embodied in Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what God was wanting to communicate to us. So Jesus is essentially embodied divine communication. That's who and what Jesus is, embodied divine communication. This is how much God has and wants to communicate with us. And then when we think about the role of the Holy Spirit, God doesn't just want to be with you, He wants to be within you. And so He fills our hearts, He unites with our spirits by His Holy Spirit, and it says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's 
children. The Holy Spirit is always communicating with us. Joining with our spirit, communicating something about God. God is always communicating. In fact, there's this wonderful sense, and this is the last kind of esoteric theological statement that I'll make today, but there's this wonderful sense in which even within the Godhead, there is communication. There are, we speak of persons even within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And there is a, a kind of communications, uh, I can't even think of the best way to put this. There's almost, there's a kind of communication dance almost within the Godhead and by the Holy Spirit, we are being drawn into that self-communication of God. It's beautiful. Now this is why, this is, this is incredibly practical. All of that sounds, whoa, man, that's deep theological stuff, but it's enormously practical. And here's why. One of the reasons why prayer, one of the reasons, now there's a few, there's a few reasons, <laughs> and it's not because of God. It's not because God has closed the door. No, remember, God did everything that he could do, and which is a lot. God can do a lot. God has done all that it takes to open the way so that we can have a relationship with God. The obstacles are always within us. One of the obstacles, the misunderstandings that causes prayer to be so difficult for, and I know this has been the case with me, is that we tend to think of ourselves as initiating the conversation. We we, put, we take the posture of an initiator in the conversation. And what I want to say today is actually pretty simple, is that we need to learn to put ourselves in the position of response to God. See, because God has communicated and is communicating all the time to us. Now, if we don't begin from a position of response, then immediately there's a communication breakdown. So if I'm communicating, let's say I'm communicating with, with Mark, right? And, and I say to Mark, you know, I say certain things to Mark and Mark just doesn't respond. And I think, mm, I would think, okay, that's kind of weird. He's uh, not giving me back anything here, Mark. And, and, then, and, then I, and then I really just, you know, a bit more and then I don't get any, and then, and then even more, I don't. It would then not be fair if Mark then said, oh, it's so difficult having a conversation with Matt. So difficult. I mean, I'm trying to... You, you see what I'm saying? Prayer begins with our response. This is really important because I know for me, prayer was always like, it was a little bit like starting a car that just won't start, right? It's like, you know, and like I'd pray, oh Lord, you know, I'd find, find the time and, and then I'd, Lord, I, I pray for, you know, and, and I'd think, take this initiating posture and sort of start praying and then my mind would wander and just like, you know, and it'd be like a car just not quite taking. 
And eventually, if you do that enough with a car, you're going to flatten the battery. And so much, I remember so much of my experience of prayer being like, I'm just exhausting my battery. (laughs) It was just this endless exhausting process that just left me disappointed in the end. And I would say just what, as I described then, oh man, it's so difficult communicating with God. And it's not fair. Because actually God already started the conversation. And if, you know, if Mark communicates to me in a way that completely ignores a significant conversation that I already initiated, that's a communication breakdown from the very start. And this, I think, is the initial problem, is that there's a communication breakdown. God has spoken, he is speaking, and he will continue to speak to us all the time. Not just intermittently, if he feels like it, and not if he thinks you're worthy enough, because that's, that question has been sweeped aside now, because none of us are worthy, but Jesus Christ has reconciled us with, he's dealt with that. God is always communicating And to go back to the point I made before, because that is who He is. He is a personal God. And to be personal actually means self-communication. In as much as God is God, He is a self-communicating God. He not only has communicated, He is communicating all the time by His Spirit, always. And He will continue to communicate with you. And we are in a position of response. Now let me go to another level of practicality and and explain these elements. First of all, God has communicated. We often think of our relationship with God uh, individualistically. It's between me and God. And that's yes, that's true. But primarily, God thinks in terms of us. God is a family God, right? He addresses us. And by us, so... I mean, not only us, but all of God's people for all of time. The first sense of God's communication is that God has communicated with us first. And that is recorded in Scripture. He's already spoken to us. He's already started the conversation. He's already introduced the elements of that conversation, define the terms of the conversation, given the context of the conversation. And that's recorded in Scripture. Scripture is God's start to the conversation. Now, I know maybe you wanted something more mystical and and, and whatever, but actually beginning with God's Word is the the first place that we need to begin if we're going to hear from God. Have you ever joined a conversation? It's like, oh, there's a great conversation there and it's been going for a long time and you come in and you sit down and you want to really get into it. You know, but you have no idea what they're talking about, right? But you really want to get in there. You really want to join the conversation. But they're saying, because the conversation's been going for hours already and you have no idea. That's a little bit like ignoring what God has already said and thinking you can join the conversation. What, 
what, what, what is this about? What, hang on. Because you, you can misunderstand the very fundamentals and the basics about who God even is and what God even wants and what God's plan is and where you are even up to in the story of God. I mean, if you don't get that, that's the framework that is going to make God's address to you, personal address by His Holy Spirit, that it's going to make that intelligible. By attending to what God has already said. If you're not willing to pick up a Bible and pay attention to what God has already said, then you don't want to hear from God. Because response means starting with what God has already said to us. But God speaks to us all the time by his spirit. Now this is weird. Uh, when I think of communication, this is one of the problems that we strike is that we, we don't quite... Um, we don't think really about what that actually means. See, when I, if I communicate, sorry to pick on you, Mark, but if, I, if I'm communicating with Mark, let's say you know, Mark expresses something to me, wants to communicate something about his perspective, the way he sees and feels about things and so forth, you know, good like relational stuff. You know. And I, I listen to Mark's words, like you have to use language and you try to explain, I'm just gonna try and explain to you, right? And you, and you use language and you use words and I hear your words um, and, and I take them in and I try to sort of empathetically reconstruct how you feel. Now, a lot of people in a way kind of wish, I, I wish, I wish Jesus would just sit there and speak to me like, like that. But see, that's not close enough for Jesus. That's not close enough. In fact, Jesus said that himself in John 14 and, and, and John 16. No, I'm going so I can be even closer to you. I don't want to just be with you. I want to be within you. So when God speaks to us by his Holy Spirit, it's not, it does, it's not this indirect kind of conversation. He just downloads directly the things that he wants us to know. And you just know, and you just know. In Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah foresees the gift of the Holy Spirit, God dwelling within us. And he says about this time when the Holy Spirit will be poured out, he says, neither will a person say to their neighbour, this is in Jeremiah 31 uh, verse 33, he says, neither will a person say to another person, know the Lord. In other words, neither will they have to try and convince and just use language to try. and No, he says, they will all know me. They will all know me from the least to the greatest. Directly, you'll just know. You'll know in a sense from the inside. It says this um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. He's talking about the, deep, the real heart, the deep things of the heart of God, right? The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand 
what God has freely given to us. So it's like direct spirit to spirit download. That takes some getting used to, but here's an important factor about this. When God speaks, he doesn't just throw out information like we do, just words, information. That direct communication means that when God speaks, he also acts. It's transformative. It's necessarily transformative. When God speaks to you, you change. Now, that means that if you don't want to change, you won't hear God. And we, as a default human position, don't want to change. Remember, Jesus kept saying, not only in the Gospels, but in the book of Revelation, in the letters to the churches, what did he say repeatedly? He who has ears, let him hear. You might think, what is he, what is he talking about? I mean, we all have ears. No, no, he meant those who are willing to be transformed, they will hear. I've often said about our church, and, and, and it's really important that people get this message, anyone can come. We welcome absolutely everyone. You don't have to believe the same things as we, you don't have to act or live the same as we do, you don't have to be the same, in any sense. We welcome absolutely everyone. But when you come, and if you're intending to follow Jesus, if you're intending to begin a relationship with God, you need to know that everything is gonna change, everything. Because life is change. Because life consists in communication with God. So you need to be completely surrendered. The more you're willing to change, the more you will hear from God. Your capacity to hear from God will be exactly the same as your willingness to change. See what I mean about God initiating the conversation. <laughs> God is speaking to every single one of you all the time because he is God, because he is a personal God, because he is wanting a relationship. But are we willing? Are we willing to hear? God is speaking to us all the time. In fact, I mean through everything all the time. God speaks in every circumstance, everything that happens. God is speaking in the midst of that to us. One of the most uh, important things that I have done, and, and I'll finish just with this practical uh, this practical point. One of the most important things that I have done is find blocks of time that I give to hearing from God. 
Um, and, and remember, I'm not, I'm not saying everything that there is to say about prayer today. God loves it, even if you just wake up in the morning and before you get out of bed, you just say, Lord, I want to do today with you. Or, Lord, help me today. Yay, you've, you've started. Pre- that, that, you know, even that, that's fine. Because actually, God wants you to pray. So let's not make this more complicated than it is. But to, what I'm saying is to develop a prayer life. That's, this is what I'm talking about. Is that we need to find our position of response. And to find that, we need to find blocks of time. It's like, you know, when you used to log on to the internet, and you get that, 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 that dial-up sound, you know, and it'd take a little while. So we're a little bit like that. As I said, the issue sometimes is with that. You've got to sort of tune in a little bit. So I found it necessary to find blocks of time. And, you know, when I, when I, when I inhabit those blocks of time, I'm not actually even primarily looking for information from God or tell me how or tell me where to go. Actually, the most important thing, I've learned the most important thing is to allow time for, um, f- and, and this is what is so enjoyable, actually. I, 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 this is what is so beautiful about these times. And I, this is, I look forward to this in my week more than anything else. It's time to absorb the goodness and the love and the the presence and the glory of God, just to absorb that, you know. Often when I go off and often I'll I'll go off and I'll I'll walk and and I'm not, it's not like I'm, because often sometimes we think of prayer as like this, oh Lord, I just pray, it's this really kind of striving activity. No, 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 actually it's this beautiful restful time of, just inhabiting this space and, and becoming porous to the sense of God's presence and, and the, you know, because we are immersed in the presence of God. And often God speaking to me feels like the sort of gentle pressure of a river. You know, I've often illustrated life with God is like floating in a river of God's being. You know, it's like the, the being of God is like this great river that carries us along. And it's the feeling of that gentle pressure. We're going here. I want you to go here. And like a river, if you've ever floated in a river, it's like there's a gentleness about the way that the river carries you along, but it's so powerful. And it can feel like that. One of the problems with us is that our our weeks are so incredibly busy and frenetic and there's so much... Uh, there's so much mental busyness going on. Like we're, we're just so overstimulated. And this is why, this is why I just, this is why we introduced the waiting room, which is an hour of just being still in the presence of God. I mean, I know um, it's an, a, a few of you actually who have expressed to me and said, I, I just find it agony. It's absolute agony. In fact, the way, when I, and I often ask them to describe it, and, and when they describe it to me, it's the same sort of agony that someone who has substance abuse describes when they go through detox. The description actually is identical. I think we need to detox from this constant mental activity. If we can't inhabit still spaces, 
then we lack what the fourth commandment talks about. Sabbaths. Sabbaths. And I'm not just talking about one day a week. I'm talking about the principle of Sabbath, which is summed up in the words of Psalm 46. Be still. Cease. Stop. And know that I am God. That is the beginning of a life of prayer. I'd like us to stand up, uh, please. I'll get the music team uh, to come. As we close, I'd like us to share together in the symbols that remind us that we do have access to God. There is no question about that. No matter what you have done, no matter how bad you think you are, join the club. Join the club. We are a community in recovery from a kind of God complex. Like we're, you know, like, so what are we all gonna do? Just all just feel bad together. Oh, I'm just gonna feel bad together. I mean, you know, if, you know, we, that feeling should drive you to the presence of God, should drive you to the foot of the cross, to Jesus. Sure, we've all failed. There's, there's no surprise that we have all failed, right? But don't wallow in that. Bring that sense of failure. That's the very offering that God wants from you. Bring your failures, He says. Everyone, it's amnesty. If you're gonna come to me in this period of amnesty, don't come to me without failure. I want your failure. Bring it to me, not because He loves failure, because He wants to take it away. He wants to take our sins away, right? So bring your failure and come to Jesus. And we do this using communion. This is so important that Jesus gave us physical symbols to use to do this. So uh, we're gonna take the bread and we're gonna take the cup. The bread represents the sacrifice of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus. The blood represents, sorry, the cup represents the blood of Jesus. The payment for our guilt. So as we close, the worship team is gonna um, lead us in a song and there's some a spot up the back and up the front. I want you to come forward, take the bread and the cup, take them back to your seat and acknowledge what Jesus has done. This is our way of opening the unlocked door and walking through, essentially. We say yes to Jesus. So let's do this together this morning. Thanks guys.